This is the First Emmanuel Lutheran Church Podcast. For more information about us, who we are, or how to get connected, check us out online at filministries.org. All right, so we're looking at chapter 12, right? Okay, chapter 12. All right. Chapter 12, um, chapter 12, chapter 13, we're kind of getting into the stuff that Revelation is known for. Things like dragons and beasts and 666 and stuff like that. So let's pray before we read chapter 12. Oh, Holy Spirit, bless us with your presence so that as we read through your word, you would continue to uh, strengthen us in our faith toward you and in a a commitment to stand firm in the face of an ever-challenging world. In your name we pray. Amen. So, we move into Revelation, and again, it's another one of those pauses. It's chapters 12 and 13 and 14. So it's even more than a pause. It's a it's a good size pause. Um, you know, we saw pauses between the second. Um, well, this is this is going to be really between the um, second sevenfold vision and the third sevenfold vision. So we remember we had seven seals, seven trumpets. Now this is a little longer pause. It's three chapters long, and. During the pause, we're going to get a picture of opposing forces. It's going to be good and evil. It's going to be righteous and unrighteousness. And um, the pause is here so, so John can get kind of a vision of what's transpiring both in the heavens and on earth. It's kind of there's this stuff is going on simultaneously. It's the war between God and Satan. Um, who is, who is the, the source of all evil. So, ready? You know what? we got to start with this. Someone asked a really, really good question this morning, and, and I thought maybe we would start with this. It's only going to hold us up for about 40 minutes. <laughs> Here's the question. The devil is cunning. Agreed? Agreed. And in, in, in the words of the person who asked the question, he's no idiot, what makes him think he's going to beat God? Why does he keep trying? Isn't that a great question? How do you answer that question? Ego. You know, here's the deal. <laughs> One reason is ego, right? I had a friend that said ego stands for easing God out. Isn't that good? It's easing God out. So one is ego. Remember, his, remember the devil's approach to Adam and Eve? God knows when you eat of it, you will be just like God, playing on ego, right? So I, one is ego. I believe that. One is ego. The person who asked the question went on a little bit more. And, and I, I did say, you know, the devil can't tell the future, Right? But he said, but if the word of God is out there, 
Doesn't he know he's going to lose in the end? My answer to that one is I believe that the devil's whole existence now is to disturb the word of God, to usurp the word of God. Isn't that what happened in the garden? Adam and Eve responded to the devil's question, can't you eat anything around here? No. We can eat from all of the trees, but God did say we can't eat from that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And the devil's reply is, are you serious? God knows when you eat it, you're going to be like him, knowing good and evil. So do you see what the devil tries to do? He tries to take his word and replace God's word. He's trying to replace the truth with a lie. And I think that's the same thing that he does even today. Go ahead. I think he knows that he's not going to beat God, but I think he wants to get as many souls as he can away from God in the meantime. That's my third point. You got it. Anybody see those superhero movies? <laughs> right? And, and maybe they're not, they don't even have to be like the comic book superheroes, just, just the good guy. The bad guy knows he's never going to get the good guy. So what does the bad guy do? He, gets, he goes after what the good guy treasures most his family or his children or his girlfriend or whatever it is. So I can't get you, so the only way I can really pierce you is to get what you love. And the deal is, the devil's whole, the devil's whole goal is to depopulate heaven. That's his goal. If I can grab a few more out of the realms of heaven, then that is going to really satisfy um, my, my mission. So, yeah. He knows he's not as strong as God. Knew that when he, or he should have known that when he battled against God, right? But again, even though the devil, even though the devil is not an idiot, he's not spiritually intelligent. If he was, he never would have rebelled against God. Does that make sense? Does that work? Yeah. Yeah. So he's real. He's out there. And he's after you and he's after me. We're going to talk in a, a few verses how he was after Jesus when Jesus was on earth. No doubt about it. Right? All right. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to read through... Um, chapter 12, but we're just going to read verses 1 through um, 6 for now. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. 
And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who was to rule all the nations with an iron rod, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Okay, it's getting good now, isn't it? It's almost like a Stephen King novel, for crying out loud. We've got dragons, and oh my goodness, it's ugly. All right, so we begin with what kind of a sign? It's a great sign. So this is, this is something that is ex- exceedingly significant. So a, a sign in Scripture is a visual presentation um, exhibiting something of the divine. That's what a sign is. So uh, in the Gospels, we hear how Jesus performed. Most of the time, it's not called miracles. They're called signs. So a sign is a demonstration of the divine, the heavenly. So here we have this great sign. And where did it appear? It appeared in heaven. So the woman mentioned is from God. And not that she's eternal like God, but she's an instrument of God. She's related to his his saving presence and and grace. So she has this relationship with, with Almighty. But the woman and what she represents is on earth a sign in heaven but her work and what she represents is on earth sound like anything like Christmas you get the magi right so the magi um, come into Jerusalem and they came from the east and they come into Jerusalem and they're going to go right to headquarters, right? So they go right to Herod, the nominal king of the Jewish people of the time, and they ask him a question. Where is the one who was born king of the Jews? Because we've seen his his star. They saw something in the heavens that came from the east. So um, we'll do a Christmas time out here for a second. Uh, From the east... uh, where were, these, where were these people from the east who must have traveled some time? It, it must, there must be a two-year period here is what we figure, right? You know, when you, when, you read the, when you read the Christmas story, isn't it like Jesus was born at the stroke at 12, right? Shepherds show up like maybe about five minutes after, and then the wise men show up about a quarter after, and the whole thing's over. Right? It's like opening presents on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. It only takes a while. Really what goes on is they saw the star and they travel. And when they get to Herod, they want to know where the king is. So 
Herod asked the leaders of the church, right? The, the, the elders, the scribes, the chief priests, and, and they say, well, he's supposed to be born in, in Bethlehem. I said, all right. Why does Herod have all the male children age two and under murdered? Because that's the time that he ascertained from the wise men when they saw the star. The wise men, if, if you read through your scriptures, the wise men, uh, when they went and saw Jesus, right, they didn't go to the manger. It says they went to the house and they saw the child. The word in the Greek there is not an infant, it's a toddler. So we've got some time going between the birth and, and the arrival. Um, but they saw this sign up in, in, in the heavens, in, uh, in, in a star. And here we have this um, woman who is clothed with the sun. We have the sun come up. Remember that angel in chapter 10 whose face shone like the sun? And then we, we equated that with transfiguration. And also when Moses was chatting with God, remember he had that really good suntan he kind of radiated it represents the it represents the presence and brilliance of Christ so this woman is clothed in this brilliance of Christ um, it indicates how much God in Christ honors this woman and and she's clothed in the sun and what's there at her feet the moon is at her feet right this is a picture of dominion when something is at your feet, it suggests dominion and authority. And, and it's the dominion it's that, that the woman holds and exercises under the authority of God. So in other words, she's been given this mission. So what we have so far from this is this great sign is in the heavens, so it's ordained by God. We have this woman who is clothed with the sun, which is the radiance of the Lord, and the moon under her feet. So she's, she's set on this mission by the divine authority of Almighty God. She's got a crown. Crown is a sign of victory. She's already victorious. So, and in the crown, we've got 12 stars. So if you remember from chapter 4, verse 4, we had 12 came up, right? Actually, 24 came up. Now we find 12. 24 was the representation of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 disciples. So it's all the believers of the Old Testament, all the believers of the New Testament, that's the 24. So when we talk about 24 elders in heaven, remember we said it's all the believers from the Old and New Testament, right? Here we have 12. I think we have 12 because it's a transitional period. The birth of Jesus is our transition between the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament was the prophecy, a Savior's coming. That was the promise of the Old Testament, right? A Messiah is coming. This is the one who's going to free you. This is the one who's going to release you from bondage. 
The New Testament, the message is, the Savior's come and release you from bondage, and he's going to be coming again. I think the 12, the, 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 the 12 uh, marks, uh, the stars, um, represent the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And when Jesus was born, we've got the birth of the New Testament. So it's a transition here. Okay. Um, anything from verse 1? Verse 1 is kind of a loaded verse, isn't it? Anything else? You know, if anyone saw that video on the Bethlehem Star, remember that, that lawyer? He, he talks about, about this. And, and he talks about uh, Virgo, the, the sign, the stars, the virgin, that at the birth of Christ, it was probably the sun during the day, the, the constellation Virgo would have been, would have been up, and, and that the crescent moon would have been visible in the day sky on, at, at the feet. So he points this. I, I don't know if you can hang your hat on that, but it's kind of an interesting thing. So. The video is in the library. The video is in the library, yeah. 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 Um, so this lady in verse 2 was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. So she's going to have a child. Now she's crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. Where did we first hear of birth pains? In Genesis, right? This was, this was part of the curse, was that you, you will bring children into the world through pain. Jesus comes into the world in the midst of that curse. Do you get it? Jesus comes into this world, you know, <laughs> have you ever seen those cards, like right after Jesus was born, those beautiful Christmas cards with Mary holding Jesus, the newborn? She looks pretty good. Her hair's all done up nice, and she's got a nice smile on her face and stuff like that. She gave birth. She went through the whole process. And, and it, it, it's a beautiful symbol here that, that Jesus came into the world to take the curse that was on us. The curse, childbirth, painful, but at the end of life, the curse is death. Jesus has come here to experience the whole nine yards, the entire thing. And so she's giving birth, and she's crying out uh, in the agony of giving birth. So Jesus, Jesus comes into this suffering world. And verse 3, And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems. Okay, there was another sign. It doesn't say another great sign it's another sign a great sign would be the significant sign delivered by the divine this is a sign the devil always wants to put himself in the place of god as a matter of fact 
the devil who tried to replace God now tries to mask himself as God. So this sign isn't sent from God, but it is a sign of one who is against God. And it's a, a dragon. What color is this dragon? This dragon is red. Red represents blood and murder. Because this is what he's about, physically and spiritually. He's about murder and he's about blood. <clears throat> so, this, um, this great red dragon has got seven heads, ten horns, and then on his head, seven diadems. Okay, it, he's, he's creepy. Seven is whose number? It's God's number. But now the devil's got these seven heads and these seven diadems. So the number seven refers to the divine. So in, in chapter five, verse six, remember the lamb has seven horns, right? Horn is, is power and strength. In this verse, I think the devil's trying to pass himself off as divine. Diadems were always about royalty. Remember Jesus, born in royalty from David's line. He's the king of kings. The, the wise men asked, where is the one who is born king of the Jews? So the devil always tries to come across as God. He's the wolf in sheep's clothing. He's the wolf in the lamb of God's clothing. And, and again, the seven diadems would illustrate that he's coming across as if he's royalty. So what do these ten horns have to do? Um, a horn is always about earthly power. Um, these ten, ten horns would be, uh, as we heard in chapter 11, he, he's got significant power on earth. Chapter 13, I don't want to give it all away, but chapter 13 um, we're going to hear more about his power and, and we're going to hear about his, his power, his influence over the earthly institutions and organizations and even as it leaks into the church. So 13 is amazing. So we'll get to 13 maybe next year. <laughs> this is our last one this year. So... Um, so in verse 4, this dragon, his tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. Let's stop there for a second. If you remember back in chapter 9, verse 1, there was a star that fell from heaven and it represented the angel of the abyss. Who's the angel of the abyss? The devil is. A third of the stars is a reference... And, and who sweeps them out? The dragon does. When the devil rebelled against God, he enlisted other angels. So it was a coup. When the devil is expelled from heaven, along with him go those other angels. Today we would call them demons. Right? So there's good angels 
and there's bad angels. Um, good question that came up. Can the bad angels repent and go back to heaven? And is it possible that maybe the good angels somewhere along the line might say, I want to rebel. And, you know, the, the, and I think it's from Scripture spells it out. But our uh, Lutheran catechism talks about this. And the Lutheran catechism says that the angels in heaven now are, this is a great term, confirmed in their bliss. They're sealed so that they no longer would rebel. Kind of like us when we get to heaven. So when we go to heaven, it's not going to be, um, you know, make sure you behave up there because you don't want to get booted. We'll be confirmed in that perfection that was originally designed for humans. So in other words, when we get to heaven, we are going to be what God originally designed us to be before we messed it up with sin. Follow that one? Okay. So these, these, these demons, you know, sorry, Charlie, you're out. You're done. You're gone. Question. Please. So you're saying like Adam and Eve were that way. They obviously sinned. Yeah, so. so we're not going to have the will of Right, yeah, that's a good point. Um, Adam and Eve had that, we call free choice, right? So they could choose between obeying God and disobeying God. We lost that free will. We lost the free will to choose to be sinless, right? Now, we do talk about free will. You came here free will, right? You did. I shouldn't eat many... Christmas cookies, I had the free will not to eat them today when people brought them in. But I ate them. So I blew it. But in heaven, we're going to have that beautiful seal where uh, we don't have to worry about falling. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Thank you. So um, the rest of verse 4. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. Why? So that when she bore her child, he might devour it. There's a pleasant picture. Okay. This never appears in those little children's Bible story things. Did you ever notice that? There's not a lot of revelation in those. The woman obviously is Mary. The child obviously is Jesus. The dragon obviously is the devil. His, his deal is, I gotta stop Jesus. He's not beating God. He doesn't beat God, so he brings sin into the world through a temptation in the Garden of Eden, right? We're all going to hell if someone doesn't come and rescue us. So it's Jesus to the rescue. The devil now, his goal is to make sure Jesus does not accomplish this goal. Jesus' mission statement was this. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. The devil tries to prevent him. So, um, 
When you think about when you think about the devil trying to dissuade Jesus, what's the what is the first episode that comes to your mind? Forty days and forty nights in the wilderness, fasting. This happens at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, as Jesus is born into his earthly ministry. So for thirty years. Um, he's not doing his, earth, well, he is kind of doing his earthly ministry. He's living a perfect life for us, right? Experiencing all of life. But then he gets in his public ministry, and it happens uh, at the Jordan River when he's baptized. And a voice from heaven says, this is my son, listen to him, right? Because he has the words of eternal life. Right after the baptism, if you read Mark chapter 1, Mark puts it pretty blunt. The Greek the English says that, that Jesus immediately was sent out into the desert. The Greeks puts it this way, um, that at, immediately after his baptism, the Holy Spirit cast Jesus into the desert, threw him out into the desert, chucked him out into the desert. It's a pretty harsh word, isn't it? thrust him out into the desert. I think the reason that word is used is, is really to show the manner in which Jesus comes into the world. He jumps in. His birth might have been pretty quiet, but when he starts his earthly ministry or his public ministry, the devil is right there. So Jesus is in the wilderness. And the devil attempts to, um, to get Jesus sidetracked. You notice that? Hey, Jesus, you hungry? Eh, yeah, kind of. Haven't had anything to eat in five, six weeks. If you are the son of God, turn stones into bread. No, Jesus uses the word, right? Man doesn't live on bread alone by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then, then he, he, what was the next temptation? Do you remember that? Let's take you up on the top of the temple and do what? jump off because, and so the devil uses the Bible. You know, it says in the book of Psalms that, that before you hit the ground, the angels will rescue you. Your, your foot won't even touch a stone. And Jesus comes back and says, yeah, you know, the word also says, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Then, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of these kingdoms of the world. Isn't that a weird one? Isn't that, didn't that one bother you as a Sunday school kid? Doesn't Jesus like own everything anyway? I think there's a couple things going on there. Number one is, if you stay away from the cross, you and I could rule this world. With my brains and your brawn, Jesus, we'd have it made. You just stay down here. Ah, forget that heavenly throne. We could rule everybody here. I think it's primarily what's going on. Maybe the other way is, if anyone is in heaven, leave them alone. You can hang out with me with all these evil ones. I like my first thought better. It's a temptation for Jesus not to go to the cross. So after the devil leaves, Scripture says uh, that the devil left him until an opportune time. 
I'm here to tell you that the entire ministry of Jesus, he was hounded by the devil who wanted to devour him. Jesus says, you know, I got to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be, you know, be, I'm going to be uh, taken before the chief priests and the elders uh, and they're going to try me and beat me and they're going to crucify me and I'm going to have to die. And what did Peter say? Never, oh, we're never going to let that happen. And Jesus turns around and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind. That's temptation. There was one time when Jesus was doing a whole lot of healing. And, and everybody, everybody wanted Jesus to hang out and be their king. And Jesus prays through the night and gets up the next day and says to the disciples, we got to go. There's other people we have to go to. What a temptation. Just to stay in that town, Jesus would have been their welfare system, their health care system, and he wouldn't have had to go to the cross. The rest of the world could have gone to hell, but he would have been happy in that nice little town. Do you see how the devil tries to devour Jesus? Not so much to kill him, but more so to derail him. It even happens on the cross. So the, the temptations in, in the wilderness at the beginning of his ministry, if you are the son of God, the temptation at the end of his ministry while he's on the cross is what? If you are the son of God, come down and then we'll believe. And if he would have come down, we would have gone to hell. Young lady in the back. Um, we started the night with the devil knew he couldn't take out God the Father. Yep. But the Trinity is all yep. God. Yep. Did the devil think God the Son would not be? <clears throat> yeah, so we, we talked about at the beginning... Didn't the devil realize you're not going to be God? He knows that Jesus is divine, right? I mean, he's been up in heaven. He gets the whole Trinity thing. So what's he trying to do here? And, and again, he's not an idiot, but he's spiritually an idiot. I don't, I don't think he really gets it. I think it's one of these deals. You ever watch one of those football games? It happened on Monday night. You have one play left, and there's two seconds, and you just keep lateraling the ball. It never works, but you're going to try it. It's your last-ditch effort. This is the devil. This is a last-ditch effort. I, I'm probably not going to kill him. I just, I just need my, my best to derail him. You know, after Jesus is crucified, which is really where the devil is defeated, right? He hasn't derailed Jesus from his mission, but he wants to derail us from ours. This is what's going to happen next. Does that answer your question? I think so. Joy. Did the devil think because Jesus was true man that maybe he had a chance? Yeah, could be. You know, if he's going to feel all the emotions and, the and, the, and the feelings... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think sometimes we give the devil too much credit. 
You know, we give him, we, we assign him more than what he deserves. Um, first of all, when you're in heaven and you're going to rebel against God, it proves you're not all there. You're so immersed with, with yourself that you forget who others are. I, th I, think this, I think this is the challenge of the devil. He's just spiritually arrogant. And, and he's going to try. And, and I, I like the comment from the morning class. He's seen the Bible, hasn't he? He does know how this ends, right? Yeah, but he's just not spiritually intelligent. He's, his goal now is to get you and me off track. Anything else on this? That's good he, conversation. He could be on a mission. Like, think about in uh, World War II with the Japanese pilots, the kamikaze. Oh. I mean, they, they were on a mission and they thought that yeah. the most important thing in the world. And the devil's logic could have been just terrible. That crazy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah good point. That, uh, like the kamikaze pilots in World War II, you know. Or the suicide bombers today, right? Do you understand that whole thing? You know, I know you get the 72 virgins and everything, but man, to kill yourself? Wow. Yeah, so I think for the devil, it's like, man, this is the mission. I got to get this done. I'm going to try everything. So here's this woman and, and about to give birth and, and the devil wants to devour. So <laughs> look at this in verse 5. She gave birth to a male child who is whom? Jesus. One who is to rule the nations with an iron rod. This is a reference to Psalm 2. Psalm 2 talks about the Messiah ruling with an iron rod. So this is... This is saying prophecies fulfilled. This is the one that you've been waiting for. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Do you see where? <laughs> I hope that's your phone and you don't have a dog in your purse. <laughs> I like that ringtone. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get that. <laughs> so... So we go right from the birth of Jesus, and he went up to heaven. When did Jesus go up to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father? It's, it's that ascension thing. So we go right from Jesus' birth to his ascension, right? He's born, and he's taken right up to the throne of God. What it's saying is mission complete. It's really packing 33 years into one sentence. He tried to devour Jesus. It didn't happen. He completed his mission. He lived the perfect life for us. He died on the cross to suffer a separation from the heavenly father, which is rightly ours, called hell. And he rose from the grave. He gave his, his mission to his followers, and he ascended bodily into heaven. Mission accomplished. But look at verse 6. What happens after this male child is taken up to heaven? And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished 
for 1,260 days. It's in the present, isn't it? The male child is all in the past. He was caught up. And now the woman, she fled, and she has a place in which she is to be nourished. It's going on now. The woman is the church, the bride of Christ. She's moved into the wilderness. The wilderness is the world. God prepared a place for his church in this world. His church at large, but individual congregation. So, so First Emmanuel Lutheran of Cedarburg, Wisconsin, is in this place at this time because it is God-ordained. God decided 167 years ago that a church needed to be here, and here we are. So when the children of Israel were called out of Egypt after 430 years of slavery, and they crossed the Red Sea, where were they? In the wilderness, nurtured by God. We had a Red Sea crossing. It's called baptism. We were baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And does God take us right up to heaven? Oh, wouldn't that be nice? No, he sends us into the wilderness of the world. And we're going to be nurtured there, but we're also going to be missionaries there. We pick up the mission of Jesus. So she's, she's got this place prepared by God, and, and she's going to be nourished for 1,260 days, which is also how many months? 42, which is how many years? Three and a half. Three and a half. So we get this thing, right? So the three and a half is half of seven. Seven is the, the divine number. Half of that refers to we're not in the perfect place, but we're not going to be here forever. It's a partial time. D, I'm sorry I missed your hand before. Yes. And now, right. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. So in verse five, the first woman is Mary, right? And in verse six, it's the church. We could also do this if we want, I think, D, without any kind of sacrilegious um, endeavors. I think we could also say that Jesus came into this world through the church, through, through, through the, the Hebrew line. So the, the Hebrew race is the church, right? The children of Israel are the church. Jesus, even though the church at Jesus' time kind of disowned him, he just, he came through this line. So we could, we could also say that this, the, the children of Israel, the, the, the Jewish line could be seen as this woman who brings the Messiah. I think we can also say it's Mary. Yeah, either one I'm good with. Yeah. And he came because of the church. And he came because of the church. Yeah. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So the whole Hebrew race was designed for a Messiah to come out. David. Uh, where did the uh, Catholic or Pope find it? Uh, Satan is going to marry the descendant of. Oh, yeah. Good. 
Yeah, yeah. So good question. So David's question is, in the Roman Catholic doctrine, Mary was assumed in, into heaven. And if this is Mary, she's out in the wilderness. She wasn't assumed into heaven. Her son was, right? You know, a lot of old church doctrines came about when people tried to figure things out. When people tried to discern the divine with a human mind. So for instance, uh, in Roman Catholicism, the uh, Immaculate Conception refers not just to Jesus being immaculately conceived in the womb of Mary. It refers to Mary having been immaculately conceived in the womb of her mother who tradition says her name was Anna. The reasoning was this. How could Mary have a sinless, sinless kid if she was a sinner? And if she was totally human, she'd be a sinner. So she must have been immaculately conceived. Well, we could, we could do the whole the whole web, right? We can, we can weave a web. Then how could Mary be born sinless if her mother was a sinner? Well, then we would have to take Mary's grandma the same way. My goodness, we'd have a whole line of virgin births, right? Yeah, so you find, you find that a lot of times the church, this is a lot, this is a lot of the stuff Luther struggled with. You find that the church tried to, tried to make sense out of the divine through the human. A lot of this stuff happened when the church moved from the east to the west. So the church comes out of the Orient, right? So the Holy Land is in the east. Eastern people think both and. Eastern thinking is both, and the scriptures are Eastern writings. The Western mind, which is where Rome is, is an either-or thinking. So that we never really had major doctrinal problems in the Christian church until you get to the year like 300, when the headquarters <laughs> moved from Jerusalem to Rome. And these Western philosophical thinking permeated the church. So here's the first doctrines that really were a problem for the church. Is God three or is he one? Western world would say, what is it? Is it three or one? The Eastern world would say it's both three and one. When you get into the Western world, when it came to communion, the question was, what is it? Is it bread or is it wine? And the Eastern world would say, well, it's both. Is it bread or body? Wine or blood? And the Eastern world would say it's both. It's, you're getting bread and the body of Christ. You're getting wine and the blood of Christ. And the Western world would say, well, was she a virgin or was she the mother? And the Eastern world would say, well, she was both. And the Western world questioned, what is Jesus? Is he God or is he man? That's why we have the Nicene Creed. 
and the Eastern world will say, well, he's both. He's God and man. And the Western world would say, well, what are we? Are we sinners or are we saints? And the Eastern world would say, we're both. We're sinner and saint. Is that interesting? So the Western world is the one that really brought up all of the controversies of the church. We, we tried to take Western philosophical thinking and apply it to the divine, and it doesn't work. And there's still denominational things. Still denominational things. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yes, like for communion. So you have Roman Catholicism that says it's bread, but then it turns into the body of Christ. But then you have Reformed theology that says it's bread and it always was bread and it just represents. And then you have a, a Lutheran and there's others that, that will say, well, yeah, there's bread there and the body of Christ. And then there's wine and the blood of Christ. Yeah. So, I don't know, does that answer my, your short question with my long answer? That was good. Yeah. Any other hands? So, she's there 120 days. We're going to just take a couple more verses, and then we'll let you go home. Is that all right? Okay. Uh, seven, eight, and nine. Let's just do, we'll do some of those. Uh, now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. And he was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. All right, let's take a look at that. So there's this war in heaven, Michael, a ranking angel, and, and, and all the good angels, they wear white halos, and... They defeat the dragon and his angels. They wear black hats. Um, he, there was no longer any place for them in heaven. They're out. But they had a place in heaven before that. Yeah, so here's the thing. They had neighborhoods? They, yeah, that's right. There was a horrible neighborhood and a good neighborhood. Um, it's kind of given us a little go back for a moment. They were angels in the heavens. But then when they rebel... Now you're out. Here, this is interesting. So this was the rebellion. This is the rebellion, oh. yeah. However, there's another thought on this. The book of Job, when God called all the angels together and Satan joined them, God says to Satan, have you considered Job? Isn't he a good guy? You know, it's kind of like Job should have said, oh, no, shh, don't point me out. There's a thought that the devil hung around for a while in the heavens. Interesting. Until the ascension of Jesus. Now you're out for good. I don't know. Heaven is the presence of God. Hell is the absence of God. 
really what God does is says to the devil and the evil angels, you're out. You're no longer in my presence. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, so, yeah, before God creates anything, which he did create angels somewhere in those six days, he has the foreknowledge of knowing that angels and humans are going to fall. And he does this anyway, because God is love. I can't give too much away. That's my sermon on Sunday. But it's in Sockville, so most of you won't. Yeah, so he's thrown down. But this voice that's heard and it praises the Lord, salvation and power, kingdom of our God, the authority of Christ have come. It's, it's the 24 elders, I think, who are saying this. And the 24 elders represent the entirety of believers in heaven. So it's the believers in heaven who are saying, finally. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved their lives even unto death. So it's the Lamb who has the victory. It's the Lamb who, from the cross, has the victory, the martyrs lose their lives because they believe in the Lamb and they share the Lamb's message. These are the ones, remember, they're under the altar. And now, they're, the devil's out. Remember they said, how long, O Lord? And the Lord said, just hang on. Get it taken care of. It's enough for one night, isn't it? I think so. Yes. You talked about, you never did answer. The, the, the Magi, it took them, we think, approximately two About two years. years. From the time that they saw the star. Where do you think, or where do they suspect that they actually came from, that it would take that long? Oh, I never did. No, you never did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good question. So we talked about the Magi taking two years, probably because they took public transit. <laughs> and it's, it's a governmental thing. Um, <laughs> uh, so these, these men are from the east so it's obviously east of Jerusalem and it, if it takes you two years you must have traveled a bit who from the east would even know about a Jewish king and it's probably the people in the Babylonian region because in 586 B.C. The children of Israel are taken captive by the, by the Babylonians. There were guys like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. If you remember from the book of Daniel, these Hebrews who were taken into captivity were actually in some pretty high positions, right? They were marked among the counselors of the king or we might call them magi. So they probably weren't, you know, we, we sing we three kings of Orientar. They probably weren't kings, and we don't know if there was three. We know about three gifts. 
So evidently, the Hebrews, while they're in Babylonia, are talking about someday our prince will come. Someday the Messiah is going to come. and He's going to rescue us. He's going to rescue all of mankind. And maybe it was Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Maybe they spoke about the prophecies. In any rate, for 600 years, it had been passed down. And finally, there's a sign in the, in, in, in the heavens. And they come and say, we've been waiting 600 years for this. Where is this one? So probably Babylonian. Persian, we might say. Yeah. Yep. They must have made quite an impression coming into town. Right? Because it says it, it, you know, troubled Herod and all of Jerusalem. Yeah. What is this? Yeah. All right. Anyone for whom we can pray? So we'll pick up here. Um, we, won't, we won't be here the next two Wednesdays, right? Because next Wednesday is the 23rd. And at First Emmanuel Lutheran, we celebrate Christmas Eve Eve. So... So we're going, to be, we're going to be busied. And then that next week is kind of the break week. And I know a lot of people, well, I don't know how many are traveling, but you might be. So we'll pick up when we get in the first week in, first Wednesday in, in uh, January. Um, and we will we'll head back to our 7 o'clock time. Okay? Okay. What are we praying for? Anybody? Yes, we have a friend who found out she has skin cancer, Holly. How's Diana doing? She's still in the hospital. Still in the hospital? Oh, my goodness. They, they did surgery, didn't they? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Pastor Pingle. I don't know how many of you remember Pastor Pingle. Anybody a Pastor Pingle remember? Yeah. Uh, one of his daughters passed away this weekend. Um, Michael. Um, she had COPD. So, so let's pray. Any other prayers? All right, let's do it. Lord, we thank you um, that you protect us from the evil one, and we just pray that you would strengthen us in faith. We pray the same for those for whom we pray. Uh, for Holly, as um, she confronts skin cancer, for Diana, as she recovers following surgery, uh, we just pray, O oh Lord, that you would um, bring both of these, our sisters, to uh, fullness of healing and health. Pray um, for the Pingle family as they mourn the loss of a loved one. We thank you for a faith that leads to life everlasting. And just pray that all the tears of sorrow would be turned to tears of joy. Lord, send us home and grant to us rest. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about First Emmanuel Lutheran Church, visit filministries.org. Have a good day and God bless.